Hi there, it's Guinevere Lee. I am visiting bookstores around southern Ontario to promote my Bronze Age historical fantasy novels, Orope the White Snake and Picari the Azure Fish. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn more about that ongoing series. On October 30th, 11am to 5pm, we will be at Indigo Burlington Centre at Guelph Line and Queen Elizabeth Way. Come on down to learn about my novels or to just chat about The Lord of the Rings. See you then! Hello and welcome to Rivenpod, the only Lord of the Rings podcast that just wants to get this over with. <laughs> I'm going to really... And I am Noelle And yes, we, we have come back. I know <laughs> it, it looked like we weren't. It's been a while since our last episode, but... Here we are with our analysis of the season finale of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, brought to us by <sighs> Amazon Prime Video. Good job. Such a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jeff Bezos, when your son asked you not to fuck it up, you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna... This dog can't decide if she wants to come in or not. Ripley... Come here. Get in here. Get in here right now. Come here, Papa. Yes, who is a good mm. girl? Sit. Sit. Alright, good girl. Good girl. And Ripley's with us for emotional support. Much needed emotional support. <laughs> well, the good news is I'm done crying. <laughs> I've gotten all my tears out. It is why we take us a little longer to come back. <laughs> and honestly, there was a lot of research to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, points of contention. So, <laughs> so let's get into it. So we start the episode with a stranger. Yes, with the very obvious Sauron fake out. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I even turned to you as we were watching it, and I was like, well, he's not Sauron. And you were like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and you're like, so why are they wasting our time with this? Mm-hmm. But they are. <laughs> So they need to close that, uh, I guess, like uh, that plot with the press that nobody... I, I don't know if nobody asked for. I, I didn't really mind too much the subplot with the, with that, like, uh, the cultists. Mostly because it is new. So it's like a... Uh, oh, unlike everything else in the show. But unless they are not particularly contradict something that really exists. It's true. Their existence doesn't break any canon. Th- that is something good to say about this show, I believe mean, it or not. <laughs> it's also definitely not canon. I mean, no. we'll get more into them later. But, um, shit, they, they did have a name for them, all, all of them together in the show. All together? The mm. Mystics, that's what it was. The Mystics. Yeah, they call th- they refer to them as the Mystics nowhere in the show. <laughs> Nor do they call them by their names, but I did a little bit of digging. So they do have names. They're the mm-hmm. ascetic, the nomad, and the dweller. The dweller is the the main the one. Leader. The, mm-hmm. the the slim shady. Which doesn't really help us understand them at all beyond their personalities, maybe? But and badly because like uh, they they almost have dialogues other than just like a single line. I mean, I really did like them, and it is a real bummer that they're gone by the end of this episode. Uh, and I impression that they are not 
come back to that subplot at all. Who knows? But as I say, compare for the things that they take from nowhere. This is the, the okay one, at least to me. Yeah, we uh, we get to see Aaron Gallen, which is the Greenwood, before it becomes Mirkwood. Mm. Although, the way they depicted it was very Mirkwood-esque anyway, so, you know, the I was expecting a little bit more... I don't know. Green? Greenness? Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's a good word for it. I guess they want to blend a little bit with the darkness of the, of like the, 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 the cultists, but... But why? Because, the, you know, the mystics don't come from there. They just followed him there. Uh, this scene also establishes that they can shape change, um, mm-hmm. which I guess is something that they might have learned from Sauron. Although we really don't get any backstory on no. them, so it's difficult to say why they can change their shape when no other wraith that we've seen can. Who knows? But eh, it was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then we head to Aregion, mm-hmm. where... I mean, I would have been a lot angrier at this, but we find out, of course, Halbrand is not a human. But they put him on a, ho- a horse and ride him mercilessly for five days straight, she says. Yes. Five days without any rest. I mean, he would have been dead, like, so quickly. <laughs> it's just, you know, the fact that he was alive when they reached Aragion should have been enough for Galadriel to realize he's not a human. <laughs> well, yes. And and you know who should not be alive either? The horses. Yeah, no, no, those horses are <laughs> so dead. So I made a little bit of research. The distance they are like approximate because like you need to estimate. But like a give or take should be around uh, fifteen hundred kilometers. Okay. From like a, the the east of like a, like a Mordor to Region. Apparently, I surprised. Like the horses, despite they can go very fast, they are not. They're not cars. No, no. <laughs> they they don't endure very long. No, you can't ride. Remember when we were talking yep. about the charge? You can't charge horses like that for a long periods of times. So you will kill them. So they say that uh, if you are traveling by horse, uh, you know, making the proper rest, feeding, and so on. They average between 40 and 60 kilometers per day. That's pretty good for medieval times. So let's say that they double that distance in like I am pushing these horses to the limit. Let's say she used her elven magic to keep them alive. (laughs) That put us, doubling the regular one, put us in 700 kilometers. Okay. It is less than half that the distance they... <laughs> so it should have been like 10 days? Yes. With non-stop riding? Uh, and, and 10 days pushing the horses to, <laughs> to the very limit. Well, they they threw the timeline out the window, so I guess they threw geography out as well. I mean, for sure. But, like, uh, yes, if, if the was ridiculous, bring some person in the edge of, of the dead all of the way, that horses also know. They don't even refer to that city. It's like if they showed Toronto on the screen and kept calling it Canada. A region is not a city. (laughs) The most likely they were in Austin Ethel, 
which was like the capital of Arregia. I mean, the, 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 it wasn't technically the capital, but, the, but it the, was the, the main. Settlement. It was the main city, so that's probably where they were. But Aragion, why yeah. not? I guess it's the most recognizable name. I, but <sighs> even if you go to the very south of Aragion, the distance is still yeah. massive. So yeah, I mean, it's stupid. The whole show is stupid. <laughs> Let's just get through this, people. <laughs> And especially now we know that he's Aaron, but she didn't. So she was bringing a fragile, like, like a mortal human. Yeah, in, and in, in, fragile mortal horses. <laughs> because that they are not even elven horses. No. It, it is yeah, like horses from the Numenorians. Well, they, I guess they're Westernese horses, which, of course, uh, Elendil does establish earlier that they're special. Yeah, let's but... And but again, non, they're not cars. <laughs> and they're non-magical limits. It is just... I mean, it's bit. just... You know, who cares about the geography? That that scene was written by someone who's never cared for a horse, never been near a horse, never ridden a horse. Because in, in medieval times, when they need to travel days, they have called it, like, a, I don't remember, like, in the English term, they have, like, a like a post where they do trade horses. Yeah. You give your horse for like a two, three days, and then take a, a fresh one and go. Exactly. Make this like a long in the single horse normally take weeks. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so they arrive in the region and they realize that they don't have enough mithril. Yeah, and then, um, you know, Caliborns or. Actually, I forget who says, but they're like, well, the sun started out as something that could fit into your hand, and it became something great, so we can do that with the mithril. They don't explain that sentence at all, so I'm sure it's very confusing for the average viewer. But yeah, just to explain that briefly, that is actually a factual sentence Ooh. for this world. Someone read the books this time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like a nice little nod. But basically what happened was after the uh, two trees were killed, the Valar were like singing to the trees to try to bring them back to life. And the only thing that they could manage was that each one bore a final fruit. Now, they never say how big that fruit was, so I guess <laughs> we can assume it fit in their hands. But they took this, you know, one was a golden fruit and one was a silver fruit. Threw them up in the air, bada bing, bada boom. You got uh, <laughs> Well, then you throw the fruit. <laughs> you got a sun and a moon. <laughs> Yet even as hope failed and her song faltered, till Perion bore at last upon a leafless bough one great flower of silver, and Laurelin a single fruit of gold. These Yuvanna took, and when the trees died and their lifeless stems stand yet in Valinor, a memorial of vanished joy. But the flower and the fruit Yavanna gave to Aule, and Manwe hollowed them, and Aule and his people made vessels to hold them and preserve their radiance, as is said in the Narsilian, the song of the sun and moon. These vessels the Valar gave to Vardar, that they might become lamps of heaven, outshining the ancient stars, being nearer to Arda, and she gave them power to traverse the lower regions of Ilmen, and set them to voyage upon appointed courses above the girdle of the the earth from the west unto the east and to return. So, fun fact, in this universe, the earth is the center of the universe. And the sun and moon are rotating around us. 
Kind of like Ayarindil is... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> flying the boat. <laughs> I would love to visit the heavens of Middle-earth. It sounds like there's a whole like passageway of boats and elves and Valar <laughs> hanging around. Like, Yeah, it sounds like a good time. Anyway, so there was one thing that that scene did well. But yeah, like... <sighs> Again, with, like, let's dumb down Kalemberbor as much as we can. Like, every single moment is him being like, I never thought of that. And just like, oh, we don't have enough mithril. (gasps) But what if it was enough because we changed the shape? (laughs) Like, I don't know. He's just so dumb. But whatever. So Kalemberbor decides that maybe it is enough. And, and then we have a scene of, like, Elrond with Galadriel, then, like, a, by the way, was not nice, like, I stab you in the back, I send you back to Balinor. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> but don't worry, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't really mind their relationship in No, that, the, that, that, seems, that scene was good, actually. I mean, honestly... <clears throat> There's really nothing established in the books to say that they were, like, friends, friends. You know, I'm sure they were friendly with each other, obviously, because, you know, he married her daughter. So there must be some sort of familial love between them. But, uh, yeah, I I like it. I, I think it's nice, you know. Hmm. So I don't, I don't mind that. No, I mean, th- that scene, I think, was good. Yeah. And then we have, like, a Halbrand with Calabri more in the forge. Yeah, and... Uh, <sighs> yes. And the writers being, like, so clever, like, you could hear them just being like, Ooh, this is gonna be so smart! We'll have him say something, and then he'll be like, Call it a gift! Wink! <laughs> Because, of course, in the actual source material, Sauron came to them as an elf named, well, calling himself Anatar, which was a lord of the gifts. So, vomit. Vomit came out of my <laughs> mouth when that scene happened. Yeah, because basically, the gift was like a man's playing the greatest, like a force, like a force man in the, in the world. Yeah. What alloys means. What's an alloy? <laughs> It's, uh, it's a new concept that is going to revolutionate forging forever. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can't really get over it, but those gemstones, they look like plastic. Probably what? <laughs> They're so unimpressive. And Halbrand's like, ooh, I've never seen gemstones such as these. What do you mean you've never seen gemstones as such as these? One is sapphire, one's a ruby. And the other one's adamant. Yeah, they're uncommon in the sense that they're precious stones, but they're not uncommon. Like, he would have known what they were. Uh, and they was not even cut. Yeah, they're, again, plastic lumps of ugliness that they never <laughs> cut. They don't ever look nice. It's such a weird design choice. Yeah. They're just ugly. I, I guess that they, they get it uncut to get that impression they are more... Uncommon or pure or magical in some way. But I feel like in some way. part of like cutting the gems is like infusing magic in them and like shaping them into the form that you need. You know, the whole point of cutting gems is that it catches the light in such a way that it refracts. Mm-hmm. It makes them look 
shiny. Yeah. Yeah, like that's what gives them the sparkle. So it's almost like you're imbuing them with power when you do that. To leave them as these raw lumps is just a weird choice. And I, and by the way, I I know that they are like not connected, but in the Peter Jackson adaptation, that gem was cut. And sparkly and yes. beautiful. Those rings, you could look at those rings for hours and not get bored, especially Nenya. That one is just mm-hmm. like a work of art. I mean, we'll get to the rings later, but they're just ugly. There's no other way to say it. You called your show Rings of Power and you couldn't even get the Rings of Power right. Right, yeah, I know. (laughs) 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 Anyway, (laughs) we gotta move on. So, yeah, so that was them. So now we move to Numenor. And we have the scene where, like, they're gonna craft a statue for the. Like a still breathing king. Yeah, they're like, well, he's gonna be dead soon, so. So r- r- rush. <laughs> I mean, this is a very bizarre thing to do for a few reasons. I mean, you know, artists would often create um, like portraits or statues of kings after they passed, but they would actually just send them in with the dead body to like mm-hmm. sketch the dead body as fast as possible, or to make a death mask, like. It's so... It it really feels like you're breathing down his neck, to, wanting him to die, to send them in. Yeah, because like, chop, 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 he's dying, you know? And, and, and also, why are you sending in the apprentices? Like, this feels like the kind of thing that you would want the masters working on. It's your king, kind of. I mean, you exiled him and took his... Crown, well, but, but if you're gonna make a statue, you're gonna do it right. Yeah, you know? you're not going to make an Ethelmo. No, you don't send in the fucking apprentices. Like, I know you wanted Eärendil exactly. to be in there so that she could find the Palantir for something we'll find out in season two because they just leave it on a cliffhanger. But it was so forced. No, and I'm gonna say it again. It was lazy writing. I mean, they can say the masters, and she can be assisting one of the masters. And at some moment, she become alone with the king because the master leave the room. Yeah, like he had and to go... boom! Like he was called out by Alar Farazan or something, and he was like, wash the brushes while I go, and then he wakes up. Exactly. <sighs> and we'll have the exact same result, the same opus, but it's going to make sense. Yeah, it was just a weird decision all around. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't... Yeah. I have no idea where they could possibly be going with this because it, uh, it feels like it doesn't really add anything to it. I, I She's going to have a revelation. It's going to go to the father and it's going to have like some plots. I mean, I guess maybe she tells her dad and that's the impetus that he uses to leave Numenor because that is something that happens. Like, they leave... His family leaves Numenor before the fall. That's how they survive it, you know? But is that the only way they could think of to do it? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think they're going to have some kind of political drama between Miriel and Alfarazon, and that they're going to kind of like a play in that regards, that maybe he's going to realize about the, the destruction of Numenor, and yeah. then he's going to have some sort of political plot that I, I guess I would be like okay with, but how they set up don't make much sense, but... No, not too much. <laughs> so then we come back to Eregion. 
Yes, where High King Exposition is there to tell us that yep. time is running out because it is. Which is extra stupid because, like, he was the one who was pushing for all this in the beginning. And then finally they were like, okay, we have a plan. And then he's like, nope, no time. Like, but, but we're doing what you wanted us to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have to convince him to give him time. I mean... To, to give him three weeks, three full weeks, you I, know? <laughs> it's so... It's going to take him three full weeks just to get back to Linden. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, this TV show, they work very fast. <laughs> <laughs> they clearly do. Like, you can't evacuate an entire nation Kingdom. of elves in three weeks anyway. Yeah, like only, only pack everything <laughs> you have in Lindon would take you more time. I know. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous plot point. But we have to have tension Drama, in the yeah. episode because that makes it better, right, Noel? It's better now, right? Uh, again, <laughs> Gilgala just a complete waste of character and, yeah. and disappointment. I, I, Such I, I, a I disappointment. don't know. There's so many disappointments. And especially, but... I, I, Gilgala was one of the characters that was really looking forward to him. I know. I remember that you you were very keen on him. Well, because you know, have like a is is the king. So like, a, well, the king. He's not king, king, but like a, it is. Yeah. It is the leader of the elves. And like uh, he have a big role, then he have a heroic, fa- heroic death uh, yeah. against Siren in like the War of the Ring. So it's like okay, I want to see a little bit more of of this character. They no. really did not build him up very well. No, not at all. Yeah, it was very very confusing. So finally, he relents because Elrond uses his own words against him, which is. Uh-huh. Again, you're just making Gilgalad extra stupid. But... I know. You just made your your hiking yeah. like a like a fool. <laughs> oh well. But yeah, so they start making the rings and Galadriel starts to suspect Halbrand is not who he says he is, uh mostly because uh Kalembrabor repeats something that he said, which was to get power over flesh, which is something that Adar mentioned Sauron was looking for. I mean, you know, how much more obvious can you get than like, I mean, how do you even get to that point where Kalembrabor is basically quoting Adar? Like, is that the (laughs) only turn of sentence, like power over flesh? Like, I don't know. It would, it, it just... I can't stop saying it. it. Just felt like lazy writing. Especially because in that part, like a Clevermore, it was a kind of possessed, yeah. like a losing completely, like a the cool. And it's like a well, that that don't look Clevermore or the thing that we saw about him yeah. so far. I, it's like know. okay, I got it. because it is not even influenced by the ring. It's not rings yet. So what's power influence him? I'm not sure. I mean, we're going to get more into this later, but the whole reason for making the rings is really off base for me. But um, anyway, as as they're getting underway, um, Galadriel decides to find the librarian and ask them if they have any records on the Southlands, which I guess it's not like impossible that they would, but I, I do wonder why they would even bother. Like, what interest they could possibly even have over a kingdom that died out how many hundreds of years ago. A kingdom which 
by the way, never existed. (laughs) (laughs) It's not in the source material. There was never a king. Uh, If there was a king at all, it was Sauron. Like, I mean, after the fall of Morgoth and they sort of fled east and south, they weren't like a cohesive people. They didn't Mm -hmm. have like a a leader and like a, a set of rules. In fact, like when the Numenorians showed up, they basically colonized them. And, you know, you know, in the books, they're like, oh, and they taught them how to farm, and they taught them how to be civilized, which is an extremely colonialist attitude and not at all problematic. Um, <laughs> I, I am kind of happy that they left that out, but also not because I feel like they're glossing over how bad the Numenorians actually were. But anyway, like, so... It's just like a complete bullshit. I don't even know. It just annoyed me. The whole thing annoyed me. I'm just angry. I mean, the fact that they have records, I'd say it's okay because you know they're elves. They want like a like yeah, a, like yeah. a gather knowledge. So I I I see like a that part, but uh, yes, I mean the fact that like nobody also knew about that is not a kingdom for. How much he say? Centuries or what? Centuries. Like, so she's she knows enough about the Southland kingdoms to like recognize that crest and recognize it belongs. Exactly. She doesn't know the fact that they died out hundreds of years ago. How do you miss that? I mean, when you have a a full kingdom in the Middle Earth, you know about its existence. It is not something that's like, oh, by the way, what's a kingdom that covering all of this chunk of the map? Yeah. I never hear about that. It's like a, no. I mean, again, <laughs> it's just them, like, dumbing her character down so hard. But, I don't know. They're awful selective when she's smart. I'll just say that. Yeah, but even if she didn't know, they, yeah. are, they are the elves who know. So. Somebody should fucking know. Exactly. Or even, like... Only that, only that elf that should be kind of like a deliberarian should be aware that other kingdoms that exist in the middle of that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he probably could have just told her, like, right there and then been like, what the Southland kingdom? Like, they died so long ago. He's like, what are you talking about? You're <laughs> 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 hysterical again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we get back to the good part of the show. Yes. <laughs> The Strangers and the uh, Hardfoots. We finally find out where or what this constellation is, mm-hmm. which is the Hermit's Hat. I'm going to hold back my annoyance that this constellation doesn't match up with our own stars, because it should, because Tolkien based his heavens off of ours. All the constellations he mentioned were based off of our... More to the point, they say the constellation is in Rune. Mm-hmm. Now, this is exciting because we get to go to Rune, which is something that's never been mm-hmm. seen, but it's it's annoying because I'm just going to show you a map. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you'll see here is Rune, and Rune is on the east, like almost directly east of Mordor. And if I go all the way north... And and it goes north. Now, that would mean that it's in the same hemisphere as where the Harfoots are. So, what is this bullshit of them not having seen this constellation? Because 
Let me explain how this works. <laughs> if you are in a northern hemisphere, you will see all the constellations in the northern hemisphere at one point in the year because they are rotating. You only don't see constellations that are in a different hemisphere, i.e. the southern hemisphere. So if they had said that it was in the Harad, that would have made a lot more sense because that is south of them. So potentially in a different hemisphere. So it's just stupid. It's just stupid. <laughs> I'm I, I was thinking about that. It's like, okay, that is a world that they're creating if the world was flat once. Yes. And then suddenly it is like a round. Let's just keep this part. But uh, I, you can say, well, they can have hemispheres, but you do not need like a north-south. It can be like a east-west hemispheres. But then it doesn't make sense that like we have called all the way the north if you have an hemisphere that go north-south. Yeah. That is possible because you have a sphere and you can like uh, rotate this sphere or whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So... You can argue that, like, uh, you know, because there was, like, a flat... Uh, I mean, technically, that constellation was in the first age as well, when the world was flat. Yes. So we can argue that the hemispheres don't work? I mean, but it is a sphere now. Like, that is established. And it's that... But maybe don't spin. Because maybe the things spin around the, the Earth and the Earth... Well, that is true. I did just say that the, the, the moon and the sun do rotate yeah. around the planet. Uh, so... The stars can be fixed. I suppose. Oh. I feel like I might have to do a little research into that. I, I, I don't think they're going to go that now, deep, but... Uh, uh, I will say this, and I think this is where the, the writers got this idea from. Oh. There's very little information about Rune. In fact, there's very little mention yeah, of Rune. Uh, it's basically just a placeholder on the map. Like, he needed to put something there, and he put Rune. So, uh, they mention it in the Council of Elrond. Aragorn's talking about it. And he does say, all the places that he's traveled, you know, oh, I know so much about the world. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, even into the far countries of Rune and Harad, where the stars are strange. But, I mean, again, Harad is in the south. So, in the south, the stars would be strange. So... It, 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 just, put, it just put together Africa and Asia yeah. all, all together. I mean, it basically just feels like one of the writers saw them. They're just like, oh, oh, we can put stars there, but... I mean, to me, that's like, well, you could say that that's just talking about Harad, like, and Harad, where the stars are yeah. strange. Because, yeah, they're but, like in the other hemisphere, like, yeah. but... But I don't know. I just feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, honestly, because Tolkien was reshaping the world as he wants, this might be, like, the one that... It's true. ...is less stretchy than the Maybe, others. Maybe, but I still don't like it, because... <laughs> Because the anger has got me now. <laughs> I cannot stop. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I make a little bit of research of room and uh, again, I didn't find too much. Uh, they are populated by all the races. I mean, you have the Avari elves, the elves that like they never went to, to like um, Balinor. There was also four of the seven like uh, dwarf clans 
In fact, in The Hobbit, when the Battle of the Four Armies that uh, that draws the king as a reinforcement came to like a, from Rune? the very north of Rune. Mm. That they have like a, a I don't remember the it's a color and then mountains because all the mountains have colors, but I don't remember <laughs> which one. <laughs> Well, it's not blue, I can tell no. you that. <laughs> uh, but basically, uh, both men and elves, when they barely appear on Earth, they appear on Rune. And then I, like was it not east of Rune? I thought it was like the most east you could go. But so I, it's even like east of Rune. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, we don't really know how far go Rune or whatever is S of Rune. Nah, I mean, Tolkien never drew it. There's a yeah. lot of other artists... Who who have written, drawn maps and kind of interpreted it, but Tolkien himself didn't seem no. that bothered. <laughs> As you say, the room is mm, things in the east. Ooh, so. <laughs> so yeah, it was was not much. Uh, yeah, that they found there. No, there's not a whole lot of information, which will make it fun because it's a clean slate. Then. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually, which we kept complaining about. It's like, you have all of these, like, clean slates to play with. Why not play with them? Well, they finally took our advice. Yeah. <laughs> so next season, we should see an interesting new kingdom. I'm curious how they're going to interpret it. Um, but for once, they're going to ruin things that they already written. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have our half-foots uh, picking behind the bushes. But it is the thing that they do the best. Yeah, being very sneaky. It's very um, Assassin's Creed, this whole scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it. I like all the Harfoot stuff, so it was pretty good. Yeah, um, I, I, I know. It is cheeky, like how much yeah. they just put a cape. It's like, a, <laughs> nobody the, can see me. The one kind of, um, <laughs> I don't know, hiccup in the scene is when... Not Gandalf. We should just call him Gandalf now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's when Gandalf finally gets the staff and he, you know, kills the race. And he's like, I'm good. <laughs> I know. I, I love that. It was, was so, so ridiculous, but, but in the good way. <laughs> I don't know. It really took me out of the moment. I feel like there's better ways they could have handled that. But... Like, for me, it was like a, a lot of uh, I am Groot moment. It felt like that, yeah. Especially, <laughs> like, comparing it to afterwards, where he's very eloquently spoken all of a sudden. Yeah. He couldn't be eloquent in that scene. He had to be, I am Groot. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a little bit weird. But, obviously, yeah. it's something that they'd been, like, working up to. It just feels like it's supposed to be this, like... You know, moment where you cheer, but I just laughed. Yeah, yeah no, that was, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, when Gandalf killed the race, you know, with power, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't he do that to any other race? They they appear to be made of moss. Yes. Which is an interesting choice. We'll get more into this later, but it seems like a very clear influence from Peter Jackson's adaptation, which had a lot of moths in it. Like Gandalf, like, speaking to the moths to call the birds. This was all from those films. There is no particular relevancy of moths in in Tolkien's work. Like, I didn't find any mention of them being, like, 
a symbol for the dark arts or used in any kind of like spellcraft. So I don't know why they went with moths other than moths are evil butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) But but in the Peter Jacksons, they seem to suggest that the moths, they are Gandalf's friends, so they're like uh, good. Yeah, I I don't know. So I'm getting exactly the the, the opposite from from, from here. But it kind of made me wonder what the race, or what the mystics actually are. Because, you know, we don't get any information. We can only assume that Sauron created them. You know, unlike the other race, which are mortals that he corrupted. It's like, did he create life? That's not a thing that Sauron can do. No, I'm assuming they wouldn't be corrupt. A, a but he corrupt a bunch of moths? Like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> he was, like, breeding moths and he, like, corrupted them? I, I just have so many questions. I, I must say, they have, like, a lot of powers. I mean, the level of powers almost reminded um, Amayar, but, but it's nothing that actually tells us that it is the case. No, you know, the interesting thing with Tolkien's writing is there is obviously a lot of magic, but the way that the magics work in his world, they're much more subtle. It's like influencing the world around us, like, you know, going to Lothlorien and, and the beauty and the how everything is, like, everlasting there. Like, yeah, that like, is the like, magic. Like a greener. Yeah, or... You know, Gandalf can, you know, he can make fireworks bigger and brighter. Like, <laughs> you're kind of, you're taking something that already exists and, and enhancing it, I guess. But in this, it felt very visceral. Like, now I'm transforming. Now I'm blowing fire at you. Like, it felt it, like the kind of thing you would see in, a well, a modern fantasy movie, it, but it didn't feel it, very Tolkien. Even, even Gandalf, like, uh, not controlling his powers, is kind of just like a... Creating like a big storm, yeah. Like a, you know, hitting the floor and making these like a heat waves that hit, like a like a hit the the wards. It didn't really fit into the world, and I I need more information on these mystics. If if they don't ever explain where the fuck these mystics came from in this series, I'm gonna be real mad. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe in season two we're gonna see a bunch of moth people living in room. Moth people. <laughs> Uh, my guess is not. My guess yeah. is that is the last time that we are going to talk about. Well, no, we are talking about them more. We're never going to stop talking about them, but, but I think the show might stop. Exactly. <laughs> and then Sadak dies, and he doesn't even no. fucking offer to help. Well, in this second time that I see, I put attention, and the kind of Sadak and like a Gandalf, they look at each other and like. Mm. They make like a like a soft knob. Yeah, but maybe he's like, you can you can help me now. He's like, he's like <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and Gandalf, <like>, yes. <laughs> oh, and we do find out that um, it was Sadak's wife that died because earlier in the series he mentions a, a, a female Harfoot, the same last name. And I was like, well, it's either his wife or his daughter. And it was his wife. So hmm. it's you know it's kind of a. A bittersweet moment where he's yeah, like, me, I, I, me and the missus will be reunited at last. I mean, I, I, I thought it was, like, well-written. It's just annoying because at the back of my mind, all I could think of is, why isn't Gandalf offering to heal him? We have established oh, that he can heal. Or, 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 or even Gandalf, 
maybe know that he can't, but Nori doesn't. Yeah. So normally, I will expect that Nori grab Gandalf for the hand. It's like, come, come. Yeah, exactly. I, I know. Then you can have like a moment with Sadak say like, oh, it's, it's okay, it's okay. And, you know, and then just... I don't know. Maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it was annoying. So then we come back to Numenor, or almost, like in... The, yeah, well, the they're, ship, uh, coming they're back. sailing back to mm-hmm. Numenor. And we got a moment with Elendir and Muriel, and I was oh. like, are we... Are oh, we doing yes. this? I don't mind it. Oh no, not at all. But but yes, there was. In my was the theme there. In my original thinking, like way way back when, when we were just kind of like you and I talking about what was going to happen, I actually thought they might have a romance with Muriel and Isildur. But they're they're clearly going with Elendil, which much better. I'm then really curious how this is going to play out because, as we know from the source material that the writers of this show clearly haven't read, um, <laughs> Muriel and Farazan get married. So is it going to be like a little love triangle? Like, is he going to be her side piece? Where are we going with this? I don't know. My queen. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that. Uh, the eyes of Muriel, they are perfect. Yeah. And she get blind because whole ashes just going. Down. Yeah, there should be like some scarring. Some scars, like a. Like no, obviously, you can't scar the actress's eyes or put shit on them. No, but you could do it with CGI no, or contact. Contact lens. Anything. <laughs> I think at this point we just. This show cost half a billion dollars. You couldn't afford some fucking contact lenses. Or at least, you know, like a, sometimes when you get blind for like a in your like a become white the the pupil. Yeah. Uh, they can try to go something like that. You know, give give me give me something. But they did not. Her, her eyes was. <laughs> I mean, if I know that she is blind, I would not tell. Yeah. There's also a, another reference to his name. I, I forget if they actually said it. Earlier in the series, in episode three, they did make mention to it because he says that, you know, what does your name mean? Oh, it means one who loves the stars. And she's like, that's not all it means. But I forget if they actually say it then. And it's the same thing here. He's like, you know, why why did you help the elves? Because my name doesn't only mean what he loves the stars. Well, it means elf friend. So I can't remember if they said yes, that in the show. Yes, I remember they say it in the show and kind of just like okay. a, like a spit it on him, like, a, are yeah. you? Are you an elf friend? <laughs> well, just to clarify for our listeners, that's what the fuck they're talking about. His name also means elf friend, which was not a very subtle wink that his father made because... You know, that's like, you're literally declaring <laughs> that you are a traitor. That, why the fuck would you name your son Elfren? Like, I mean, you're just asking for trouble. Made more sense if Miriel <laughs> was called Elfren, because Alpalantir was a declared Elfren. This is why he became in trouble, actually. Well, her <laughs> name is actually a little bit of a declaration of that, like... You calling her Tar Muriel and her father being Tar Palantir. That was not their Numenorean names. They they have different names, but um, and, and I'm sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. But Tar Palantir changed his name to mm-hmm. that to declare himself as an elf friend, and he named his daughter Muriel for the same reason. When she marries Farazan, she changes it, or he changes it for yeah, her, <laughs> to a Numenorean name. So 
their names are also like, you know, they're elf names, right? So it, it is very. Yeah. I don't know. It it's almost like the writers weren't paying attention to the source material. <laughs> I guess they do. Um, they just didn't they didn't care. care. That would be a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they reach Numenor, and we got the Black Flags in mm-hmm. the harbor, which was very quickly referenced earlier when our Farazan was like, soon he will die, and we will have black banners in the ports, and then, oh, look, it's... The and by the way, like a, the, the, the blind woman was asking for 20 seconds. What's happening? What's what everyone looking at? What do you see? And <laughs> <laughs> like, you moron, she it's, can't see. <laughs> shut up, Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. That was bad. All right. But anyway, we go back to Kalembrabor, the world's mm-hmm. stupidest elf. Yeah. At least as far as they were concerned. Actually, as we were watching it, you you asked me if he was known for making anything else. Yes. Um, beyond the rings. He is, in fact. Um, all of this comes from the Unfinished Tales. So, he made a stone called the Elisar. And if that sounds familiar to some people... That is because it is one of Aragorn's names, or specifically, it is Aragorn's name. <laughs> the actually name. It is his actual name, yeah. What is it? Three. I can't read my own writing. 324, there we go. Um, so this is basically because... Um, uh, da, 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 da. So Galadriel one day is talking to Calembrabor and she's just being like, oh, you know, it's so sad that we lost the Cimmerils and the Star of Eärendil is beyond our reach. You know, she's talking about all these beautiful stones and she says, they have passed over sea with almost all fair things else, but must then Middle-earth fade and perish forever? And Calembrabor says, that is its fate, I deem. But you know that I love you, though you turn to Celeborn of the trees, and for that love I will do what I can, if haply by my art your grief can be lessened. So basically he's like, I'm going to make you a beautiful stone, because I love you, and I want you to look at me in the same way that I look at you. Therefore he took thought, and began a long and delicate labor, and so for Galadriel he made the greatest of his works, save the three rings only, and it is said that more subtle and clear was the green gem that he made than that of Enerthil, but yet its light had less power. (laughs) A little bit confusing, it's just another gemstone. For whereas that of Anethil was lit by the sun in its youth, already many years had passed ere Calembrabor began his work, and nowhere in Middle-earth was the light as clear as it had been. For though Morgoth had been thrust out into the void and could not enter again, his far shadow lay upon it, radiant nonetheless, was the Elisar of Calembrabor, and he set it within a great brooch of silver, in the likeness of an eagle rising upon outspread wings." 
Wielding the Elisar, all things grew fair about Galadriel, until the coming of the shadow of the forest. But afterwards, when Nenya, chief of the three, the, the three rings, that yeah. is, was sent to her by Calembrebor, she needed it, as she thought, no more, and she gave it to Calebrian, her daughter. And so it came to Arwen and to Aragorn, who was called Elisar. I do remember in Peter Jackson's adaptation, Aragorn had a ring, the ring which, of course, was Finrod's ring. Yeah. And they put a green stone in it. And I think they basically took this ring and took the Elisar and they combined them together. I think so. Yeah, so you do get a glimpse of it in Peter Jackson's version. But yeah, basically the stone was meant, meant to capture the, the, light, the light of the sun as it goes through a leaf. So it's got that, like, brilliant green. It's beautiful to think of. <laughs> and also, another example of how elven magic works, the, the stone itself was basically like helping things to grow around Galadriel. So yeah, Calembrebor, in love with Galadriel. What a great <laughs> plot line that nobody in the fucking writer's room decided to use. It would have been so good. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I'm, I'm just losing my fucking mind here. My own. So, well, anyway, so... They <laughs> back back to the show. <laughs> I just want to read to you from Tolkien's works. <laughs> they are trying to... It's the moment where they inverse the polarity. Yeah. So, basically, they try to, like, uh, combine the, the mythry with other elements, and they say, oh, it's too much pressure. And then Sauron comes, is like, uh, what's about less pressure? <laughs> What? And obviously, they blow the minds. Yeah, and that's when the li librarian shows up and she's like, Psst, Galadriel, here's that top secret document you requested. <laughs> I know, so tell So she takes that off, and of course, Hal Brown's like, Well, this looks like something I should go investigate. So he <laughs> follows her, and gasp! It is revealed that he is Sauron. I have many names. Yes, and I decided to look up what were those many names. Because he was awake from the break of the, from the break of the silence of the world. I'm assuming he's referring to the singing when the Valar mm -hmm. came together and they sang the world into creation, which is accurate. He he would have yeah. he would have witnessed I, I, that. I, I think it was a cool, it's a cool yeah. Like a reference. I'm, I'm going to get to him in a second, but let me just find these names. Mm -hmm. Where is it? 328? Huh. Maybe I should just fucking write these things down instead of just page numbers. So this is actually a footnote that I'm, I'm looking at here. Um, it says, In an isolated and undateable note, it is said that although the name Sauron is used earlier than this in the tale of years, his name, implying identity with the great lieutenant of Morgoth in the Silmarillion, was not actually known until about the year 1600 of the Second Age, at the time of the forging of the ring. This is extremely important to me. The fact that she keeps going on about Sauron, 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 there's no possible way that she would have known this name. Uh, he might not have even called himself Sauron until the forging of the One Ring, when he, like, adopted that name. Anyway, 
I mean, I, I don't think that confession because obviously Sauron is a name that the people know, so they want to connect yeah. the two characters. But I mean, it's you know, it's easier to just call him Sauron. Yes. But Sauron endeavored to keep distinct his two sides, enemy and temper. When he came among the Noldor, he adopted a species a specious fair form, a kind of simulated anticipation of the latter Istari, which is interesting. He basically based his look off of the wizards. So, like, he knew about the wizards? Whatever. Uh, and a fair name. Artano Highsmith. So Artano was one of his names. Or Aulendil, meaning one who is devoted to the service of the Vala Aule. So, like, blacksmith, basically. Um... And then the name that Sauron gave to himself at this time was Anatar, the Lord of Gifts. Uh, so, yeah, those are three names of his that I found. But, you know, the, the great thing about that is that, yeah, he definitely would have had many, many, many names. And yeah. most of them probably would have been secret and only known to him. So, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was cool. No, that was cool. And then they have the the trippy moment where like uh, Galadriel go into have visions. I'm assuming like a yeah, this whole like dream in, sequence in, with Sauron induced by Sauron. So she started with uh, with Finrod. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> super creepy. I know. That fucking smile, that smile is gonna like be in my nightmares for the rest of my days. So, good job for the actor. Yeah, I, great I, actor, I, I great casting. The, I don't know the name right now, but very good. Um, and then the kind of try look at tempting her to kind of like join his side as a. As a wife, I'm assuming. As a, as a queen, I don't know. Yes, yes, and they basically quote the, the fellowship. Yes. There. That also was cheeky, but I like it. Yeah. Now, here's the biggest problem I have with all of this. And it's more just really unfortunate. Because their depiction of Sauron is actually really good. It's spot on. I think it's exactly what I wanted based off <laughs> of the source material. And I mean it as I'm so disappointed because Everything surrounding it is so bad. Yes. And getting Galadriel to this moment was so bad and so forced. But Sauron himself is correctly depicted. Because Sauron, I mean, you know, nobody thinks he's the bad guy. But Sauron in particular, I mean, when they're talking about like, oh, Sauron wants peace, blah, blah. This is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> he fucking did. I, I mean, it's, it's a twisted version of like a where he thinks is gonna be should be. But in his mind, he thinks that he's doing the right thing. Yeah, so this is from the Silmarillion uh, in, in the chapter correctly titled Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. <laughs> of old, there was Sauron the Maya. Whom the Sindar and Beleriand named Gorthar. Oh, there's another of his names, sorry. Yep. <laughs> uh, in the beginning of Arda, Melkor seduced him to his allegiance, and he became the greatest and most trusted of the servants of the enemy. So, all right, already from the beginning, he was seduced, right? He was good, and he was seduced by power. 
When Thangorodrim was broken and Morgoth overthrown, Sauron put on his fair hue again and did obeisance to Aonwe, the herald of Manwe, and abjured all his evil deals, deeds. So he went to atone for his sins and ask for forgiveness. And some hold that this was not at first falsely done, but that Sauron in truth repented and only out of fear being dismayed by the fall of Morgoth and the great wrath of the lords of the West. But it was not within the power of Aonwe to pardon those of his own order, and he commanded Sauron to return to Amon, and there received the judgment of Manwe. Then Sauron was ashamed, and he was unwilling to return in humiliation, and to receive from the Valar a sentence. It might be of long servitude in proof of his good faith, for under Morgoth his power had been great. Therefore, when Aonwe departed, and he hid, he hid himself in Middle-earth, and he fell back into evil, for the bonds that Morgoth had laid upon him were very strong. If it weren't for everything else, <laughs> I would be so on board with this Sauron, because it feels right. He, I mean, yeah, maybe he was very proud and willful, but it sounds like he did try to do good. In and his way. In his way. And of course, <laughs> it's that... Idea and you know he says it. She says it like, do you want to save the the Middle Earth or do you want to rule it? And he's like, well, what's the difference? Yeah, I want both. <laughs> yeah, that feels very accurate to him. He's basically like, I will bring peace by enforcing peace. You know, so I got applause. You did something <laughs> right. You did it. Congratulations. We got there. In addition, technically, like a like a Sauron in that period, he's supposed to be. A charmer. He's supposed to be like a. Yes. And I, I got that from this like a dream section, but I didn't get at all from Halbrand so far. No, Halbrand was its own fucking thing. I know. It didn't make any sense, but this guy who suddenly showed up in the last <laughs> 10 minutes of this TV series, that was fucking Sauron. Yeah. I mean, maybe Sauron from early in the Second Age. Definitely not Sauron by the time we get to the creation of the Rings. Wait, yes, but... Um, but I'm okay with it. And, and now I am just, like, curious to see how they're going to portray Halbrand slash Sauron in the second season. Because, obviously, now it is just, like, a breaking point in his character. You know, he removed the mask. So I'm hoping that this... Honestly, at some points I get a little bit glimpse of emo from 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 like a Halbrand. <laughs> so now it is like a full evil or full himself. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's gonna be a complete different vibe from his. I wanna say his character, but, but from the actor, basically like a, I think it's gonna give us something a pro- completely different product, and I'm I, I'm curious to see how how they're gonna go from there. I mean, yeah. they only have room for improvement, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they continue on the road that they've put Sauron, I, I'm expecting big things. But, um... <sighs> I don't know. I, there's really no salvaging Galadriel at this point. No, she's, no. She's, she's not Galadriel. I don't know who that bitch is. <laughs> she's not my queen. And by the way... In the end of the dream, when, like, I obviously realized that we were able to convince her, 
he tried to drown her and fail? It's like, how? I mean, I guess she was unconscious in the river, but you don't just, like, stay and finish the job? Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> pretty much want her dead because she already, like, revealed your identity. But it's so much worse because why would, why, why would he then immediately run away? That really doesn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah, of course, run away because you let Galadriel alive. Well, yeah, I guess maybe he saw that he... I don't even know. It was stupid. It was all so stupid. But, okay. Then Galadriel rushes back to Calembrabor to rightfully stop what the fuck that they're doing. So she's like, okay, if Halbrand comes back, you're not to treat with him, we're not to talk to him, like, fucking get rid of him. She doesn't want to say why, because she's, like, embarrassed. I would be, too. <laughs> and then Kalemberbor asks, should we continue? And she says, no. And for a second, I'm like, correct. That is the right answer. Because now you know Sauron wants to make these rings. And yet. And yet. <laughs> the very next sentence out of her mouth is, let's continue, but let's make three instead. Yeah, I mean, you know that bad idea? Make it, make it three times worse. <laughs> if you know Sauron wants these rings made, you don't make the rings. Like, it's so astonishing to me. Like, in the books, they didn't realize it was Sauron until after the rings were made. After it was too late to take it back. Yeah, this is done. But here, it's just like, oh, Sauron wants the rings? Well, let's make three instead of two. <laughs> or one or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but you're still making the rings. Now, of course, they had to add this ridiculous subplot that they need the, the, the mithril to save the elves. And I guess that's the only fucking reason at this point why they would make them. But that's some bullshit that the writers are ramming up our ass. So, I, I, and, and like, just no, you don't make the evil rings. You just leave Middle-earth at that point. Like, and addition, like, she have the idea of have three rings... But, oh, Castle, they have, like, a three magic stones in this oh, box yeah, on look, the table. What are the odds? <laughs> like, why the fuck did you even have those things? If, obviously not for make rings, because you didn't plan to make three. Oh, God, it's so weird, man. <laughs> and then what's this bullshit? She's like, one will corrupt, two will divide, three is balance. What? No, three will divide two. What? What? Is, what? what? But they're going to divide in three instead of dividing two. It's like, but it's going to divide. What are you talking about? I'm so sad right now. The three rings were the last of the rings of power to be made mm. by Kalembrabor. Like, him and Sauron were working together on all the other ones. And then, basically, when he got to that point... He started to get a little, like, suspicious of Sauron. Now, in some, you know, un in the Unfinished Tales, Sauron basically leads a rebellion against Galadriel. And probably Kalembrabor was like, okay, this is maybe getting a little out of hand. <laughs> and so he basically distanced himself from, from Sauron and decides to make the final three on his own which is why they are untouched by Sauron. But here you have Sauron working with him through this entire process to create these three rings. And I'm sorry, but he was involved. 
You can't you can't just take that back. Like he was there every step of the way. I I, I guess that like they take the the part where he didn't touch them in a very literal way. Much too literal. I know. He didn't put the finger on them. And know? what about the other sixteen rings? They are like in a drawer. <laughs> were those like all the rings that they were made that were like exploding and shit? I, it would have been kind of good if they had that. Like they're making rings and it's like, ah, oh, no, this one's not. It's not. It's not capturing the mithril or whatever. We have all these like rings in a box, I, I, and Halbrand's just like, I'll just take those. <laughs> it, it like, oh yeah, the, the, I, I would think that the garbage. Yeah. Out. <laughs> exactly, but. I don't know, man. Oh, no, yeah, they're completely disregarded. They, um, like, I the, mean, the 9 and the 7, but... It was just... Like, you're just spitting all over Tolkien's work. I, what little you did take from the source material, you butchered so horribly that it's not... It's barely recognizable. And, and then, uh, to me, they feel like... Uh, there was, like, a burning hours and hours, like, during this season... And then in the last episode, you're rush, 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 running out of time. Yeah, I mean, basically, the creation of the rings that should be like the centerpiece of this TV show, by the way, they just go in half an episode, and then you have a full episode with the Numenorians deciding if they're gonna leave or not, Numenor, to the expedition. Yeah, why the fuck did we... I still can't get over that stupid Yeah, so episode. do you spend a full hour in that shit, but then you, you don't spend like a more in the cre- actual creation of the rings. Like, the writers were so obsessed with trying to be clever. They're like, oh, we're building a forge, but we don't know what we're making it for. Oh, we're going to make a crown. Like, we all know you're making the rings. <laughs> just say you're making the rings. It's just so ridiculous, the way they danced around this and trying to be so clever. Nobody is fooled. Oh, it, who's Sauron? It's fucking Halbrand. <laughs> He's the one character that's not from the books and not connected to anyone from the books. Like, they're... For, for a kingdom that obviously don't exist. It, it, but... The point is, like, the title is already a spoiler. You you cannot be cheeky with with something that... (laughs) Like, if you want to be cheeky, call it the Second Age or something. But it's so ridiculous. Anyway, I I hate the rings. They're ugly. Let's move on. Harfoots. I love Harfoots. Yeah, the good part. Yeah, and now Gandalf's like... He's, you know, speaking in full sentences. I, <laughs> I I guess the mystics, like, healed his amnesia by hitting him on the head. Like... Yeah, no, it, not even... Whatever. It was wrapped up, again, super fast. So, uh, he's leaving. Uh, I don't really understand why, where, but he, he has a clear, like, a quest. No, yeah, he said he's he's off to... He's off to Rune, because he's he was obsessed with those stars. So for whatever reason, he oh, needed to go after. Yes, that. it's true. It's true. He true. needed to go to the place where those constellations. Yeah, but they go for the constellation to do something. Correct. There. So um, that now I think that's where he's heading because the the, the like the, the mystics have it in the shield. It's like a. Now do I want to go to the constellation? Because maybe it's the evil place where the evil people want me to go. <laughs> well, she, Nori was kind of asking her that too. Like, you know, these people were like trying to manipulate. They could have been lying. And he's like, no, I, I know that 
that this that they were being honest about this constellation, and I know I gotta go there. So, yeah. I mean, whatever. He's sent on a holy mission. I'm on a mission from God. Of course, the scene ends with her being like, I don't want to go. And then everybody else is like, no, you should go. Which really annoyed me because she didn't get to make the decision for herself. Like, yeah. I, I didn't like that at all. I, I felt like it really should have been her decision. It's like, eh, shut up and go. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I felt, like, really rude. Like, she's like, king I, the- I've chosen to stay with my family. And the family's like, here's your fucking bag. We packed it for you. Yeah. Head is another blanket <laughs> and Bye. go. <laughs> they just wanted to get rid of her. Dude, about the lag. Yeah. And then we have... Uh, quite an egregious scene where Gandalf says, when in doubt, Eleanor Brandyfoot, always follow your nose. Now, of course, this is just a big signal light that this is Gandalf, but here's the problem with this quote. Do you know where that quote comes from? Uh, From Canathum? It comes from Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Fellowship of the Ring. Would you like to know what he actually says in the books? Please. (laughs) (laughs) And in the watches, I have made up my mind. I do not like the feel of the middle way, and I do not like the smell of the left-hand way. There is foul air down there, or I am no guide. I shall take the right-hand passage. It is time we began to climb up again. The smell? Yeah, but it's a direct quote from Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. It doesn't come from the books. So for this show that's like, at one point, like desperately trying to distance itself, like, oh look, our rings look completely different. This is a completely different show. It's also, they're like so obsessed with Peter Jackson's adaptation. Like, the fucking moths and the fucking quotes that they bring up. Like, it's just so weird to me. Like, pick a lane. You're not... Like, Peter Jackson's got nothing to do with this fucking show. Oh, no. Stop trying to drag him in. Stop sullying his name as well as Tolkien's. <laughs> I just thought it was really bizarre. They, they I guess, yes, they want to tell you that this Gandalf in a cheeky... In a way that everybody recognized, but... I know, but it's a really weird choice to quote, an adaptation yeah. of the source material rather than the source material. I, I don't even know where to go from there. It's just stupid. I mean, to me, it is clear that like the main target of these people is the people that watch the movies but not read the books. And I guess episode after episode, we're just getting that. And I do want to talk about that because, yeah, maybe this show is for people who haven't read the books. And yet, at the same time, the amount of, like, names that they throw out and, like, subtle references to history, these are things that would really only be understood by people who have read the books. And even having the whole plotline, like, change, so Anatar is out and Halbrand is in, the only reason why you're doing this is to surprise the audience. Well, the only audience you're going to surprise are the people who have read the book and know who the fuck Anatar is. And guess what? They're the only people who are going to be pissed off that you changed it. So why fucking do it? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why not just follow the source material? You can still have a big reveal. And guess what? Most of the audience is going to be surprised because most of the audience is going to be people who've only like seen Peter Jackson's movies or are not that familiar with the books. 
Uh, am I taking crazy pills here? <laughs> Maybe. This is, again, but, but <laughs> just the writers thinking that they're so fucking clever and that they can do things better than Tolkien did. Now, uh, obviously, they try to find the middle point where they try to like go for the book fans and the Moodle fans, but they didn't find that point where they're, like, they're going to please Everybody anybody. Lost. Yes, basically, was that. Yeah. So, we go about... To editing again. Right, right. The actual creation of the rings. Yes. I thought we were past that. Yeah. No. But of course, we ended on the rings. Yeah, All right, talks. Gonna, they're gonna spend like a full 10 minutes creating the rings. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's less than that. Talk science to me. Yes. The amount of bullshit in this forging scene is. So, basically, like after this plane, like the, be, like the great Christmas machine, what like an alloy is. <laughs> I need to really, like, research a little bit about Alois. So, basically, he said that uh, they need to combine the mithril with the most pure gold and silver that only came from Balinor. That, just for a start, it don't make any sense. Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, you don't have, I mean, gold is gold. Yeah. You don't have qualities of gold. I mean, it's not like a diamond. No, the, the gold is Pure. You have pure gold, and it's chemically identical to other gold taken from other place. Mm -hmm. You don't have like a enrichments that you can just have like a quality of gold. Like taking that apart, that dagger is not pure gold or pure silver. No, it's mostly steel. <laughs> no, but, but even the part of gold, they are not pure gold because... It's too soft. I mean like a, both, but especially in the case of the gold, it is too, too soft. It is like a really, if you will be able to scratch it. Like By the a, way, everyone, that's why people bite their gold medals because yeah. it leaves an impression if it's gold. So normally the gold, it is a, a half an alloy with copper and like in the case of silver, it used to be like a nickel of chromium. So it is not going to be pure anything, no matter what, <laughs> other than, I guess, spiritual purity. Is the only yeah, thing... Yeah, I, I was kind of willing to let that one yes. slide, but... But then, <laughs> they threw the full dagger <laughs> into, like, a, the oven. Pearls and all. <laughs> they have some pearls and probably other gems and so on. And they melt all together. By the way, this this oven don't be able to reach the temperature necessary to melt in that. Certainly not that fast. And they melt all together, despite... Like the steel and the gold and silver have a very distinct like a melting points. Yeah. Like a silver melt at like a nine hundred sixty, gold melt at like a one thousand sixty. Oh, and silver melts before gold. Yep. Oh. And like a steel have a pretty big range of like a melting depending on... I guess it depends which metal But like the range is in like a 14 and 1500. So we're saying that this oven's at least like 1500 degrees? No, but actually it is like a 500 degrees of difference yeah. between the melting point of silver <laughs> and the melting point of, of steel. Yeah. Despite, do you see how everything melts in the, the same, same time? time. <laughs> and then do you mix all of this like a metal all together they pour it in the magic, like a... And they plop a lump of mithril in there. And they, like, give some sparkles and, like, a glitter around. And then they, like, a... They just, like, And a, somehow it separates in there? 
Yeah. This is the thing that really, really confused me. Yeah. Then they just like take the melting one, they go for some spirals, and and then they create. Somehow only mithril comes out, and then only silver comes out, and only gold comes out. Yeah, I didn't then, understand And then that. they make like a four, like a little lingots. Because they even talk about how they need to have mithril in all three of them. And yet only one of them is mithril. And I, that is canon. Only one of them is mithril. Yeah. So they swim them together and then they separate them I, in I, an impossible way. I, and I guess like the one of mall have like a traces of mitros that give you the magic. But if you had molten gold and molten silver and molten whatever the fuck yeah. swirling around, would they separate no, like no, that? No, 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 no. Impossible, right? No, I mean, if you have like the conditions where they mix, now you have an alloy. Right. <laughs> and, and the alloy is, is like a homogeneous, like a, like a mixture. Yeah. The only time when it's not homogeneous is like when you make steel and then you put charcoal Sometimes, like, they don't mix together, and sometimes when they see these knives that have, like, the wavies... Yeah. It is because, like, the charcoal, that is the carbon, didn't mix perfectly. Isn't that called a pig iron? Yeah. And, like, uh, if you work it in a certain ways, do you keep these, these, these waves? For example, like, so the Damascus steel, that is, like, basically made of scrap, it is because have some elements that they don't mix. But normally it is like a non-metal. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a carbon is not metal. Right. And like a, it's in, trees! Yeah. <laughs> it's I, ants! Oh, God! <laughs> and in case of Damascus steel, because it's made of like a scrap metal, they have some sort of like a things that they are not going to mix. And it is why you have the wavies. Mm-hmm. But if you have pure the purest of the metals... It's going to have a perfect homogeneous, and you have like a three lingots with the exact same composition. Like a, the spiral thingy yeah. is a complete... And as you have like a, the pearls floating. Yeah. Yeah, what's the uh, melting point of pearls? <laughs> I don't know, but and will, not, will not be enough 15,000, 1500, 15, sorry. <laughs> No, maybe they'd be, maybe they'd blacken, maybe they'd burn a Yeah, little. I mean, it's, it's like a stone. You will need like a, like a much more higher. So, yes, obviously at this point of the episode wasn't nothing that like uh, surprised us, but yes, all of the, all of the foraging part was actually bullshit. I mean, you know, foraging just historically in films has never been portrayed very well. Uh, even Peter Jackson didn't know what the fuck he was doing. When you see him, like, pouring steel into molds to create swords, which is yeah. not not how you do that. You have to hammer the steel into the shape. Like, Especially you, because... You would, you would, those store, swords would be so brittle. They Because, as I mentioned, <laughs> you need, like, a huge amount of temperature yeah. to make molten steel so it's not practical <laughs> no it's ridiculous especially when they are feeding the yeah, ovens right. in the peter jackson with with yeah with wood with like. yeah but i mean whereas in peter jackson's it's like a quick scene and it just looks cool you're putting so much attention on the blacksmithing in this episode and even like they're having conversations like oh we can make an alloy or there's too much pressure well it's like they're trying to be scientific about it and yet they've just completely failed. Well, because the craftsmanship is, is the well thing. Yeah. Is the part that we're going to make the rings 
the rings. It feels important to get right, and yet, uh, um, much like they, they, the entirety they, they, of this they, series, they didn't even try. They didn't even try. Because if they, you can very easily separate that gold and silver from like the handles, yeah, you, you mechanically with like a small chisel, you can just like be removing the 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 metals and then melt it separately. Yeah, I don't know. It was just very frustrating. The whole experience of watching this series was very, very frustrating. And in general, and the TV show end with a scene of Sauron crossing the the mountain range of Mor of Mordor. I mean, you know, canonically he's got to go back there to make the One Ring, but it seemed a little strange that that's where he would head back to. I don't know. I If I were him, I would... I would head back to Numenor and try to get to the Numenorians before Galadriel did, you know? Yeah, and, and like a poison them. Which is, you know, what happens in the books? <laughs> I mean, of course, he was captured in the books, but since they've, like, stomped on so much of the source material, I would have accepted him returning there by choice and to, yeah. like, whisp because as far as they know, he's still a king. So... Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that would work. But who gives a fuck about the source material? Not the writers of this show! Not for sure. <laughs> well, despite all of this, I do want to say I have enjoyed making this podcast with yes. you, Noel. It's been nice talking Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's been fun hearing people's responses. Uh, mostly, it's just been very gratifying to get to read Lord of the Rings every week. And, uh, um, I mean, I, I know for you it was not as much because you have like a deep knowledge, but for, for myself, all of these podcasts was an opportunity to dig a little bit more in the lore of like a Lord of the Rings that before I have like a good idea, I mean, I read the books, mm -hmm. but like, a, no, I never go into like a this deep, so... Yeah. It was a good travel. I I now I am I am I'm willing to like read the books again and kind of like see it from a different uh, yeah, a yeah different perspective. Now that I know a little bit more of what is happening between all the the history <laughs> yeah stuff. behind the curtains, you know. I used to reread them every Christmas. I might do it again this year. I've I've certainly been in the mood, but. Um, as far as the future of this podcast, uh, or whether or not we're even going to watch season two, I feel like there is more to come. I, I, yes. There I mean, are other things I'd like to talk about. Um, uh, definitely, like, uh, we're going to have, like, a few episodes before the second season yeah. came out. Uh, obviously, if it so is... So make sure to rate and subscribe! <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, uh, we got a pizza on the way. Yep. It should be here any minute, so we gotta finish. So um, you have a, the yeah. quote. That quote? I don't know. I did like we should. I just opened the page. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't be so gloomy, cried Pippin. The sun is shining, and here we are together for a day or two at least. I want to hear more about you all. Come, Gimli. You and Legolas have mentioned your strange journey with Strider about a dozen times already this morning, but you haven't told me anything about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bye! Bye! We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, 
by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the white snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa. The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more, visit GuineveerLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com. Hikari, the Azura Fish, is the thrilling sequel to Orope, the White Snake. Orope introduced historical fiction fans to a unique fantasy world inspired by Bronze Age history and mythology. Hikari takes them further, going to new kingdoms and introducing new characters. The gods are still angry, but the whispers of the gods are closer than ever to saving the world from a terrible flood. Kareth is still working for the powerful Imota. Kareth hopes Imota will help him deliver his message to the ruler of Mahat. But everything changes when the sorcerer Dedelian takes an interest in him. After the winter snows have melted, Tersh decides to head into the mountain kingdom of Matawe to reach the city of Mesete. Lost in this strange land, she must rely on the help of Tuthalia, a soldier with an unknown past who plans to return home and start a family. Shadi's journey seems doomed by the death of their leader, but the hunter K-Set promises to lead them through the jungle. There are sinister things in the jungle, though, and their journey is beset by disease and attacks from wild animals. Samaki sails east, a last attempt to make a good trade that will save his livelihood. The Middle Sea has changed since Samaki last sailed, though, and the waters are rife with the ruthless sea people. Continue this wonderful journey through the fantasy world of Picari, the Azure Fish, the sequel to Orope the White Snake. Ebook, paperback, and audiobook out now. You can buy it on Amazon, Chapters Indigo, Barnes and Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, please go to the website guineverlee.com. forgot to talk about the horrible song in the ending credits. Oh, you can say it right now. That song in the end sucked. Oh my god, who did this? <laughs> it should be a shame.